Surprise! I know you're expecting someone thinner, someone shorter, overall better looking, depending on who you ask. But uh, Pastor Tim is on vacation this week, and so you get the uh, Woodburn Baptist All-Star Team. I was waiting on it. I, I'm, I'm okay with cheap applause. I can, I can definitely handle that whatsoever. But uh, uh, I am super excited to be here. For those of you that don't know me, I am Caleb Hodges. I am the bona fide Woodburn Baptist hype man. But I'm going to try and, uh, and shift gears a little bit today. Still going to try to keep the hype, and uh, hopefully you can too. One thing that you may not know or may not realize about me is that I am not nearly as confident as Pastor Tim is. Surprise. Surprise again. Uh, and so I need a lot more help than what you give Pastor Tim a lot of times. So uh, if you feel like saying amen, amen, right before that, say amen, you know, and then say it again, because I'm going to need you to say it about 1,800 times throughout this sermon, um, even if it's not warranted. Amen. <laughs> amen. There you go. Let's all practice on the count of three. Let's say amen. One, two, three. Amen. That's good. That's good. I hope y'all do that in unison throughout the sermon, if you don't mind. I would really appreciate it. Um, so... Let's do, a, let's do a couple of things. First off, I want to tell you that I don't have four points. I don't have, you know, this is what you need to do to, to do this. I really want to have a conversation and, and really a conversation about what I've learned through a passage and, and just kind of work through how I work through this passage. So if you will, bear with me in that. We'll be in the book of Matthew, chapter 4. We're going to read verses 1 through 11, 1 through 11. It's going to be a very uh, familiar, very familiar passage for most of you, and I uh, believe you probably all heard it, and uh, I'm going to try to give you something that's, uh, that was a little bit different. I, I know that I got something that was different, and hopefully, uh, good Lord willing, that I can, I can pass it on as powerfully as it was given to me. Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. So it, those of you that may or may not have been to Woodburn 4 or are not familiar with how Woodburn works, so I preached in the 8.30 service and they recorded me and they took that recording to the 9.45, the cafe worship. And I had the opportunity to kind of watch myself a little bit during 9.45 and I was like, wow, do I really sound like that? Do I really look like that? Uh, so I'm going to try to sit a little bit more still this time because <laughs> I was there and then I was there and then I was there and I was kind of getting dizzy myself. I can't imagine what you guys would think. Uh, so Matthew chapter 4 verses 1 through 11. Uh, the title or the heading here is the temptation of Jesus. So in verse 1 it says, then Jesus was led by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted there by the devil. For 40 days and 40 nights he fasted and became very hungry. During that time, the devil came to him and said, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become loaves of bread. But Jesus told him, no, the scriptures say people do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Verse 5, Then the devil took him to the holy city of Jerusalem, to the highest point of the temple, and said, If you are the Son of God, jump off. For the scriptures say, He will order his angels to protect you, and they will hold you up with their hands, so you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. Verse 7, Jesus responded, the scriptures also say, you must not test the Lord your God. Next, the devil took him to the peak of a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. 
I will give it all to you, he said, if you will kneel down and worship me. Verse 10, I can just see Jesus getting fired up. He's had enough at this point. And he says, get out of here, Satan. Jesus told him, for the scriptures say, you must worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Then the devil went away and angels came and took care of Jesus. How many people have heard this passage before? Everybody heard this before? So pretty much everybody. Everybody's pretty much familiar with it. they, They understand what this passage is about. So, to give you some background or just to tell you a little bit about me and, and, and probably something that you don't hear a lot of pe- preachers or a lot of pastors say, but I struggle with sin. Uh, I want you guys to know that. And I actually struggle with lust. Ever since I was a little kid or ever since I knew what that word meant, I've struggled with that. And that's been something that I have to, you know, just, you know, try to change within myself constantly because it's a, it's a constant struggle for me. Like I said, I, you, you probably don't hear a lot of preachers or a lot of pastors tell you that, but... I want you to know something really quick that Caleb Hodges is just a guy. I'm not anything special. I'm not anything extraordinary. My tagline for myself is I'm high energy and I'm high volume. So that's pretty much what what defines Caleb Hodges. So too, amen. There you go. You're you're working it out, right? And (laughs) got me off gear. So (laughs) I'll bring it back. Thanks, Rod. You just totally ruined it there. But, uh, but so the thing about me is that I am no different than anybody else. And, and I want you to be sure that you understand that, that when you look at me and when you watch me up here, that it's really no different than, than any other person here. Because I just think God gave me a message, and, and I want to try my best to deliver it to you. Um, so I've struggled with that. And during this time, I, I finally said, you know what, I, I need to get rid of this for once and for all. So I came to what I thought would be the best example of how to overcome temptation, which was the temptation of Jesus. I said, if Jesus can overcome temptation, let me learn how he did it. So I started reading through this passage and and working through it, and I really tried or or assumed that I was going to use this as a blueprint to overcome temptation. And I even watched some sermons on this passage and read about it. And every other, pa- every other pastor or preacher was saying, okay, whenever this happens, this is what God did. You use scripture to do this, or you use scripture to overcome this temptation, or, you know, God, God did this. And these were the different ways that he attacked Christ. You know, it was through his flesh, and then it was through his holiness, and, and, and so on and so forth. So these pastors all laid it out, all these great big theological things. But I think we missed it. I think we really miss the whole importance of the whole purpose of this passage. And I want to try to, uh, try to break that down a little bit more today. Um, I heard a story, and uh, the first service kind of frowned and kind of made a, made a face at this story. I'm going to tell it to you anyways. Uh, I heard recently uh, a good friend of mine was telling me about a friend that he knew in his hometown that raised greyhounds. Greyhounds, so the fast dogs that chase the rabbit. So they raised greyhounds from puppies and had this enormous kennel that had nothing but greyhounds in it. Well, just so happened to be several farm cats that ran around. All these cats were in, you know how cats are? They have one cat, and all of a sudden you got two cats, and you got 500 cats. It's like they multiply in an instant. That was kind of funny, too, but that's fine. That's fine. <laughs> Thank you, Paul. <laughs> Paul gives me an exaggerated laugh. Uh, but so what these cats would do is if anybody knows cats, they're really kind of jerks, okay? Cats are really jerks. And these cats would climb up on the top rail. Tom's shaking his head big time. So they'd climb up on the top rail of these kennels, and then they would paw at these dogs. You know, they just kind of taunt these dogs as they stood up there. 
Well, just so happens that these cats would get a little too big for their britches periodically, and they would uh, not make it out of that kennel. And that's where first service went quiet. <laughs> like, how is this a sermon? Wow, we're so terrified now. So these cats would, would get right on the edge, right on this top bar of, of these dog pens, and then they would taunt and swat at these dogs. Well, all of a sudden, the dog would get the better of them, and no more kitty. That's terrible, isn't it, Diane? That's terrible. Your son would have never said anything like that, would he? <laughs> terrible. Well, that's exactly what we do with our temptations, that we try to get right up on the edge and as close as we can possibly get to that line of where we know that if we cross over is completely wrong, but we try to walk that thin line right there. And I'm, I weigh 300 pounds. I don't need to be there. And we try to walk that thin line between what is right and what is wrong with our temptations. And I know that I'm as guilty of that as anybody. And what happens to so many of us is that we never come out, never make it out. And like we saw in this video, and, and, and honest to goodness, if you don't believe in God, you should believe in God after this, because Rod and I had no conversations about what my sermon was going to be about or anything like that. And that plays in perfectly to what we're going to talk about today of how that, how that change takes place. But so many of those people that you saw, you saw them at the you know, you saw them at the strip club or you saw them, you know, gossiping and all these things. And we walk this really tight line between good and bad. And a lot of us never come out. And I got to thinking about that and I got to think about how close that I, that I reached with, with my own struggles. I started breaking down this, this passage. And the very first thing that the devil attacks in, uh, in, in, verse, in verse 3 here, it says, If you are the Son of God. We'll move on down to verse 5. It says, Then the devil took him to the holy city of Jerusalem, to the highest point of the temple, and he said, If you are the Son of God. Then at this last one, it said, I will give it all to you, he said, if you will kneel down and worship me. The devil knew. The devil knew that he was God. He was fully aware of who he was. But he tried to attack who Christ was. He tried to attack him. If you are the Son of God, then you'll do this. If you are the Son of God, then you can do this. I'll give you everything. I know you want the entire world to worship you, and I'll give you that if you'll worship me. If you'll worship me. So he was attacking who Jesus was. I also learned that Jesus could have done everything that the devil told him he could do. He could do absolutely every one of these. So he could have simply turned the stones into bread, and he could have eaten. So he hadn't eaten in 40 days and 40 nights, and he could have simply just turned them into bread and eaten. Could have done that like that. He raised a man from the dead later on, so I think this would be a pretty easy feat for him. Or when he got to the temple, he could have jumped off, and everyone around could have seen that Jesus was God. It would have been pretty clear at that point, right? That if he jumped off and, and angels came and swooped him up so that not even a single stone bruised his foot, I think if I saw someone jump off of a building and angels came and got him, I'd say, this guy's pretty special. Something's pretty special about that. This is yes, this is no. Y'all agree? Yeah. Amen. Who was that? Hallelujah. Come on. Yeah. Come on. So I think I would have known pretty quickly 
that he was God. And Jesus could have done that. But here's the thing. Get your pen and paper ready because this is good. It's Christ's grace and not his glory that brings us to salvation. It's his grace and not his glory that brings us to salvation. And don't you clap too much. I might, I might go over. <laughs> might get fired up if you do that too much. It's his grace and not his glory. So if Jesus would have jumped off and all the angels come, we would have said, wow, this is the Savior. This is exactly what we've been looking for. Thank you so much, God, for sending your son down to us. We have also realized really quickly that we could never be like him. I'm going to let that sink in. This side isn't as spiritual. I think you guys are a little bit more spiritual. (laughs) So if he would have done that, and if he would have jumped down from that tower, then we would have automatically known his glory, but we would have also known we would never, ever be like him. We'd never be like him because it's his grace and not his glory that gives us salvation. I'm going to tell you something else, something else that I learned that no one else is ever going to tell you, probably. And if they had, they're pretty wise because I thought I was the first one. Um, but the devil's right. Ooh, that got real quiet, real quiet. So the devil is absolutely right. And also, the devil is absolutely smart. He's really, really smart, too. Because if we look at how he handled Jesus throughout this, look at the very beginning. The devil knows full good and well the situation that Christ is in. He is very much aware that he's hungry. He's been fasting for 40 days and 40 nights. So I'm a big boy. Like I say, I weigh nearly 300 pounds, and I don't go 40 minutes much without eating much less 40 days or 40 nights. So I can't imagine how Jesus would have felt at that time. So the devil automatically starts playing on where he is and the situation that he's at. And then Jesus answers with a scripture. So the devil, being pretty smart, he then counters with, okay, you want to use scriptures? Let me tell you a scripture. Let me, let me give you a scripture. And the devil says, he will order his angels to protect you, and they will hold you up with their hands... So you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. And hurt your foot on a stone. That's actually coming from Psalms 91, 11, and 12. So the, Bi- the Bible is used in the devil's argument. So he knows that well enough. He knows Scripture well enough that he uses that against Christ. But Christ says, no, 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 no. Don't take my words away from me. It says, the Scripture also say that you must not test the Lord your God. So the devil is learning at this point, the devil also realizes that God's goal, Christ's goal, is to have everyone call him Lord. So the devil thinks, okay, quickest way I can do that, I'll give this all to you. I'll quit. I'll give it up if you only worship me. So the devil's pretty smart, and he's absolutely right. Because I know the devil tells me constantly, and especially right before I step on this stage, both at 8.30 and at this morning, this, this minute just ago, is that you're unqualified. You are so unqualified. You don't need to be up there. No one's going to listen to you. No one's going to pay any attention to what you have to say. And really, he's right. The devil is exactly right. I am drastically, incredibly unqualified to be speaking in front of you today incredibly unqualified. Just like the devil will come at you and and he'll say, you don't have any business going to that church. 
all those people know how bad you are. They know how terrible you've been in your past. They know the things that you've done. You have no business going to that church. And he's right. He's really right. But let's do like Jesus did, and let's flip the script on him. Let's change the lens. So you, you saw in this video that she started taking pictures of them. They, they, were seeing these, they were seeing these pictures that were taken and that they knew that they were guilty of these sins. They knew that they had these issues and had these problems in their lives. But she took a picture and showed them how God saw them. Not how they saw themselves, but how God saw them. So just like I told you, I'm incredibly unqualified. I have no business being in front of you today and have no right to teach anyone about temptation. But God does. And this is God's book. And I'm just telling you what he gave me. I want you to do the same. Let's flip the lens. Let's change the lens. This entire passage has everything to do with tempted, the word tempted. So I, I, I Googled it. That's what we do. 25 years old, I Googled it. Paul, you're good. You just giggle for me every time. I Googled it, and tempted actually means to have an urge or an inclination to do something to attract or to allure, to allure. So I started thinking about this word, started kind of kicking it around in my brain, and what does that mean? What does tempted mean? And I asked myself, couldn't we be positively tempted? Can't we be tempted to do something good? And this is when everybody was real comfortable whenever I was talking about, oh, yeah, tell how bad you are, Caleb. Yeah, preach about that. Don't say anything about me. Don't, don't do it. Don't do it. Well, here it comes. Here it comes. It was the last time we were tempted to do something good. It was the last time we felt the tugging of our heart to say, you know what, I think I need to pray for that person. Or you know what, I think I need to tell them about Jesus. But yet we, we stop and we clam up and we say, no, I, don't, I, I might say the wrong thing. Or what if they know how terrible I am? Or I don't know, I, I'm going to do something bad this weekend, so I, I probably, don't, probably don't have any business telling anybody what to do. Okay. I heard a pastor say one time, he used this illustration, now I'm going to steal it. It says it's time for us to stop being consumers and start being contributors. Let that, let that sink in. Let that, that sit on you for a second. We stop being consumers and stop being contributors. I am most guilty of coming into church taking a pad and writing down all these notes that Tim just pours into us in this sermon that you know he's prepared and, and, and just absolutely poured Christ into these words that he's used. And then I go on about my business. I go eat cheddars or I go to Lost River Pizza and just chow down and forget all about it because I'm a consumer. I just take all this and I consume it all in and that creates this country club. This alliteration. This is good. Y'all better write it down. There's a couple of history teachers. There's a couple of teachers out there going, he remembers alliteration. So I, I was creating this country club that I came in. I was like, oh, my friends are at church and the people that I love and the people that I like the most are at church. So I, I really like going because I get to see all my friends and I'm trying to avoid Chris Sweeney because, you know, he's kind of weird. But I, I, all these people that I really like in my country club, but instead I needed to be a contributor 
Because when we contribute, we create a community. Somebody write that down. When we're consumers, we create a country club. And when we contribute, we create a community. And so, as I read through this, I started to remember that these books, these books of the Bible, you know, we broke them up. We as people broke them up. They were actually written with either, either as letters or as complete documents. So Matthew was a complete document. It didn't say, okay, verse 1. And then he didn't, whenever he wrote that, he didn't write it that way. So he wrote it as this continuation of a story or continuation of, a, of the gospel of the life of Christ. So as I just jump right over from 11 to 12, in my Bible, it, it has a heading there. And that heading over verse 12 says, the ministry of Christ begins. So he was tempted. He went through this terrible situation for 40 days and 40 nights. He was on this mountain, tempted by the devil. And then what happened? He found a nice church and he, uh, he started going to church. He was sitting in the pew. He was paying his tithes. And he, uh, he even joined the choir. He wasn't much of a singer, but he knew he needed to be a part, you know. So he, he started singing in the choir and uh, just really, really enjoyed his people, got to meet a lot of friends, and they would hang out on Sunday afternoons. And maybe on sun- Saturday, they would go spend some time. That's what happened, right? No. Christ created the church right after this. So he took his temptations, he took everything that was attacking him and that attacked him, and he said, okay, now it's time to go. It's time to get out of here and get started. Got started on the church. When I was in, uh, was I in the seventh grade? Seventh grade. I had a teacher named Miss Melton, sweet lady. I see her from time to time. And, uh, she is a, she's a bundle of fun. Well, whenever I was in the seventh grade, I was very similar to the way that I am today in the fact that I was still loud. Mm-hmm. Those that know me best, still loud and uh, pretty obnoxious. Amen. You know which one my family is right here. You, you kind of discovered where they are. So I was pretty obnoxious, and I hated homework. I despised homework. And parent-teacher conferences weren't something that I really enjoyed during that time. They were actually pretty, pretty rough on me. So came in, and, and my parents sit down, and, and she's, just, she's just, oh, just telling all these wonderful things. She's saying, Caleb is so great to have in class. He tells the best stories. He's always keeping us laughing. And we just absolutely love having Caleb in class. Meanwhile, I'm sitting in the back going, the best. Keep talking, Miss Melton. So then my dad says, great. So that must mean he, he's doing wonderful in class. And she goes, oh no, he's failing, but we love having him. <laughs> we love having him in class. So that's in the point that I'm just like, well, I'm getting whipped tonight. <laughs> Yay. So uh, just, it just continues to, to, to go down the hill from there. And and telling all these terrible things about how I've got a 52 average and just the worst. And about the time I've had enough, I, I chime in. And I say, that can't be right because I passed every single one of your tests. I passed every single one. And she kind of smiles. She goes, okay, let's look. So she flips, back, she flips back, and I had the highest test average of anyone in the course, 
Anyone in the class had the highest test average. If I'm lying, I'm dying, all right? But it's the truth. The highest test average. And I was like, see, I know everything you've taught. And she goes, oh, well, Caleb actually has a, uh, almost a zero for homework. He has a two. <laughs> a two for his homework grade. And I was like, well, you could have left that part out, you know? And my thinking was, and just in my seventh grade brain, I was thinking, listen, that homework is for those people that don't know what they're doing. Clearly, I know what I'm doing. I'm paying attention. You know, they need extra help. I don't need extra help. You know, I've got, I've got this down. Well, I did get a whipping. Fast forward, uh, fast forward about uh, six hours. And I don't know why was that funny. Y'all thought six hours was hilarious. I've told some good jokes, and y'all thought six hours was funny. But... So fast forward about six hours, I'm laying in my bed, and all of my, uh, I got a lot of wisdom in my bed. Cause my dad came in, and he sat, down on the, he sat down on the bed, and I said, this is silly, this is stupid. I don't need to do that homework. The homework's for, you know, for the dumb kids. And, and, and I clearly know what's going on. And, and something that still haunts me this day, because I thought I was, I thought I had the best argument ever, and I was like, there's no way he can shoot holes in this argument. He said, you know, I know how to do everything at my job. Uh, everything at my job. I know how to, everything that requires me at my job. But unless I go do my job, then I don't get paid. Nothing happens and it's this worthless. And I still am really upset at him about that to this day because I thought that was a great argument. But he said, I know how to do everything at my job. We've got a pastor that pours into us Sunday after Sunday after Sunday and gives us all of this useful, this useful information that we can, we can take out into the world. I heard a pastor say one time that the biggest compliment you can ever give him is that something that he said on Sunday made it to your Monday. Think about that for a second. Something that he said on Sunday made it to your Monday. Because we can we can hear all these things and we can consume all these things, but until we start contributing to this community, all we're going to have is a country club. And you know, I, I, I'm, really, I'm really kind of tired at traveling around this country like I've been doing and looking at everyone else that's in this country and not being able to tell the difference between me and them other than the fact that my name's on a roll at Woodburn Baptist Church. Did that, one, did that hurt a little bit? Because it did me Remember, I wrote it down. And I'm sick and tired of being just like everybody else that I come into contact with other than the fact that I'm not like everybody else. Christ has set us apart and the Bible even says not to be hearers of the word, but doers of the word. And we're not here to be a country club. The last thing I discovered after I read through this and read through this and read through this and read through this is at the very beginning. So if you look back at verse 1, chapter 4, verse 1, it says, Then Jesus was, what's that word? Led. led. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit. So wait a second, you're telling me that it was on purpose that God was tempted. It was on purpose that this happened to him, on purpose, that he was led up there. 
I tell my mentors about, one of my mentors about something I was going through and a struggle that I was having, and uh, he just kind of smiled, and he was like, <laughs> you know, just kind of smiled through this whole story. And finally, I, I kind of stopped and got to the end of it, and he said, you know why this happened, right? You know why this happened. And, and I kind of said, no, I'd really like for you to tell me why this happened. He said, this was in preparation for something that's more. So as we start to change the lens when we think about our temptations, we think about how we view not only ourselves, but the world around us and the situations that we've been given, is that the struggles that we face can simply be preparation for where he wants us to go. Because Christ's goal was to overcome the world. Not just these simple and, and easy things that we go through, not just the gossip or not just uh, the lust or anything else that it might be that we struggle with, but he overcame the world for us. So I told you that this passage wasn't a blueprint. This passage is, is, is not just something that we can follow a step-by-step step and that's how we're gonna overcome temptation. The reason for this passage is that we can or we have the ability to overcome temptation because he already did it. Can I get a rise out of you out there? He already did it. He already overcame temptation. He already overcame all of these things and suffered the cross so that we could have life today. Today. The most powerful message that's ever been spoken, the most powerful message that's ever been given is the message of Jesus Christ, and we try to consume it and keep it for ourselves instead of telling every single person that we meet about this great God that overcame the world for us, overcame the entire world for us. And I just don't know what could possibly be wrong with me that I wouldn't want to tell everyone about this. I'm, I'm going to be real Baptist for a minute. Real Baptist. So, if everyone would, bow your heads, close your eyes. I know you are thinking, man, this is really Baptist. Real Baptist. That you think for a minute, and, and I'm stepping down. You, you, you can watch me step down. I'm not looking around. I don't, it has nothing to do with me. And this, honestly, it doesn't matter whether I, I see this or not. But... I want you to think for a second about are we just simply coming here and creating this country club atmosphere and then going home and forgetting everything that we've learned on Sunday and not taking it to our Monday or our Tuesday or our Wednesday or our Thursday? Are you that person today that's just thinking about, okay, if he gets done in three minutes, we can still beat the crowd to cheddars. Or are you that person that's thinking, wow, I'm so excited to share what God gave today. And with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, if you're that person that's just consuming and not contributing, I want you just to, just to raise your hand. And you, you can join me in raising your hand. I've got my hand raised in the very front row. 
And you're that person that's going to say, you know what? I'm tired of being like everyone else. I'm tired of just doing the same thing that the rest of the world is doing, and I'm ready to start contributing. I'm ready to start showing these people in this world how I overcame temptation because God did it for me. Maybe you're that other person that's sitting there and saying, Caleb, I, I'll be honest, I don't, even, I don't even know that I know this Jesus that overcame this temptation. And if you're that person, I want you to raise your hand as well. I want you to raise your hand up high and not be ashamed because I want you to reach for God and reach and just say, God, I want to know you. And God, I want to have this relationship with you and have this hope that only you can provide. And as Rod starts to sing and as the, as the worship team starts to, starts to make their way up, and with your hand still raised, with everyone's eyes still closed, everyone that has their hand right now, hand raised right now, I just ask, just, just stand up. Just stand up and make a stand that says, I'm not going to be like everyone else. I'm not going to do the same thing that everyone else has said. Everyone else's eyes is closed. It's between you and God. I, it doesn't matter to me. It doesn't, it doesn't affect anyone but you right this very second. So as you stand to your feet, no one's looking around. It's only between you and God. And as they start to play, I ask that you have the courage to step out from your seat and join me at this altar as we give it all to him. As we rid ourselves of everything that is us and strip ourselves away so that only Christ is shown.